Welcome to the Young, Wild, Financially Free podcast, an audio experience where we don't just talk about it, we live it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Young, Wild, Financially Free podcast. My name is Andrew Roberts, and I'm here with my co-host, Matthew Tyfke. What's going on, everybody? It is a freaking gorgeous day in Austin, Texas, our our home base. Sunny, 75. Yep. But also, it's kind of cool in the morning, mm-hmm. so I'm rocking a jacket. But mm-hmm. by the time it gets to noon, I've got pit stains, and I'm disgusting. <laughs> There's something about the spring, like just the sun being out makes me more motivated. Like I would just want to do more things right. and, and get more stuff done. I totally agree. When it's wintertime... I like we just want to stay inside, mm-hmm. not do anything else. Yeah, dude, hundred percent. And we're in our office looking at this pool right outside, and I that know. looks beautiful. I know. I just want to jump in. There is a thing called seasonal mood disorder, which is a real thing, mm-hmm. and it's where, like, in some of like the northern states and in Alaska, when it's like dark all day, people like get. You know, sad for no reason, just because you yeah. need sunlight, you need vitamin D. Yeah, dude, I, I went on an interview in college uh, with PNC Bank in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. and the taxi driver said we hadn't seen the month or the sun for four months, oh like my. straight up, we Dude. hadn't seen the sun. I was like, I never even thought about that. When where was that? In Pittsburgh. God, that's ridiculous, yeah. dude. Yeah, crazy. Well, speaking of a, a northern state, the person that we interviewed on this podcast, well, that I interviewed, is in Boston, That's Massachusetts. Right. I don't think he suffers from this disorder at all because he's a great guy, super nice, and um, seems super happy. Chris Litster is the CEO of Buildium, and their home base is in Boston, Massachusetts, hmm. where I have some family, and where my favorite movie was filmed, Goodwill Hunting, yep. with my boy Matt Damon and old Benny Affleck. But yeah, he's the CEO of Buildium. Buildium is the software that we use mm-hmm. for our property management company, and he's a great dude. Yeah. Have you ever been to Boston? No, I haven't. But that's on my uh, to-do list: is go to a Red Sox game. Oh, yeah. I know. Yeah, we. So Charlie and I went about a year and a half ago. It was it wasn't baseball season. We drove by old Fenway, but we didn't get to see a game. But Boston's amazing. Yeah. There's so much. You I mean you're a history buff, and mm-hmm. there's so much history. Um, we got to go on this tour around downtown Boston where we saw where like the Boston massacre happened and uh, a bunch of stuff. So that was really cool. But Chris, <laughs> our interview today, super good dude. Yeah. Super awesome. And, you know, he's had quite the career in, you know, bigger companies and he really worked his way up and he, he knew from college age that he wanted to be a CEO of a company and mm-hmm. he's really doing a great job of building him and. They're really customer focused is what I got from our conversation. And that's something that I love. And he really thinks about putting, you know, his customers first, whether that's property owners or, or tenants and what have you. And so it was awesome just to talk to him and get his feel on that. Yeah, I'm glad that they're around because as you know, uh, property management's all about systems. Right. And, you know, having a company like Buildium just makes our life ten times easier. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, when you started managing properties, you were just using a little Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. And yeah. Buildium is really fast tracked our um, our growth and our ability to serve our customers. So all that to say, Chris, thanks for being on the podcast. And without further ado, here is our guest, Chris Litster. 
Ooh, real quick, before we get into the episode, I just want to tell you guys, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I, Matt and I cannot tell you enough how much it really means to us. And um, If you guys are listening, if you guys do enjoy this, please hit the subscribe button. You know, we release an episode every single week, and so we want to make sure that you guys are listening and that we're really giving you guys what you want to hear. Um, and if you feel like you like the episodes, you know, feel free to share them on any social media platform, you know, Facebook or Instagram. Um, we would really appreciate that. That would mean the world to us. All right, back to the episode. Chris, welcome to the Young Wild Financially Free podcast. So the listeners kind of already know the bulk of, of who you are and, you know, kind of why we brought you on the podcast. So I want to dive into your story a little bit today. So I know you guys are based out of Boston. That's correct, right? We are, yep. And are you from Boston originally? I am from Boston, about 30 minutes outside. Yeah, no way! Born and bred in a town called Marlboro. Uh, I grew up in Marlboro. I went to school at UMass Amherst on the western side of the state for undergrad. I went to Northeastern for grad. Uh, my wife is from Massachusetts. So yes, I am a uh, Bostoner and a New Englander at heart. I was going to say, so you're a pretty big Patriots fan, I'm assuming. Can I say yes? <laughs> I guess you have to. I definitely will, but I don't know. A lot of haters. Yeah. yeah, me being from Texas, being a Cowboys fan, yeah, we won't be able to bond over that. <laughs> Boston kind of holds a special place in my heart. So I have some family that live in Boston right now. But also, my favorite movie of all time is Goodwill Hunting. There you go. Which... I them apples, right? <laughs> yes, that movie is so quotable. I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. Grew up in Boston. Any siblings? Yeah, so I'm the baby of four. Wow. Uh, yeah, That's cool. Yeah. I'm the youngest of I'm the youngest of five. So awesome. Yep. So I have uh, two older sisters and an older brother. Cool. And uh it it went my oldest sister, then two years, my next sister, then two years, my brother, and then five years me. So <laughs> you can figure out what that means. Sure. <laughs> you might have been called oopsie once or twice. Yes, I have been. And so uh, a lot of the family still in Boston or did everybody kind of spread out? Yeah, it's kind of spread out. So I have a brother and his uh, family are out in San Francisco. The next sister is in Central Mass. So she's still here locally. And then my oldest sister and her family are down in Alexandria, Virginia. Gotcha. And so I don't really hear it the thick Boston accent <laughs> I, I wanted to hear. Um, is that me being from, obviously from Texas, not maybe not well-cultured in Boston, um, are there like certain areas of Boston uh, or Massachusetts that have different accents? No, you don't hear a Boston accent. <laughs> no, so I used to have one, strangely enough. I did oh. growing up when I was in high school and younger. My brother, who uh, is in San Francisco, still has one. Um, and my sister in Central Mass has one. Uh, for whatever reason, even, you know, when I went to school out in Western Mass, they definitely uh, made fun of my accent. So I think, I don't know, did I just work to lose it or whatever? I don't, I don't know. It, it comes out every now and then. I can definitely pack a cat if you, uh, if you really want me to. <laughs> We're going to go drink a lager at a Harvard bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's wicked awesome. That's awesome. Um, okay. So you go to school there in, you said UMass, right? UMass, yep, western part of the state. And what did you get a degree in? <laughs> you ready? My undergrad was in French. No way. Wait, oui, wait. Oui. <laughs> yeah. Why did you? Why did you choose French? 
Yeah, so it's kind of an interesting story, I think. Uh, um, so growing up, so my, my family is ultimately, even though I grew up in, and we all grew up in Massachusetts, my family is originally from Vermont. And we, growing up, we had a small cabin right on the border of Vermont and Quebec. Okay. So I was exposed to French, Quebec French, but it was French still nonetheless. In high school, ultimately, I really, I knew I ultimately wanted to go get my MBA, but I didn't know really where I wanted, what I wanted to do undergrad. And my dad actually was one who would instill in us that this idea of, well, if you're going to grad school, you know, look at undergrad as a place where you learn to learn, where you learn other, you know, aspects of logical thinking and, and all that. And so I said, okay. So having had some success with French, I said, okay, let's, let's go with French. So that's what I did. Did you get to study abroad or anything? I lived in France in 1989. So in the middle of the Loire Valley, which is southwest of Paris, I uh, spent a fair amount of time there. That's and awesome. uh, then finished up the semester and then spent even more time traveling throughout France and, and other places. So, yeah. Very so cool. it's a really special time. Yeah, yeah. And I still actually speak with a lot of the folks that I was over there with. So wow. um, and great friendships. Yeah. That's a great experience. That's awesome. And so you go on to uh, grad school after that, correct? So I went, I started working and then I did grad school at night. Yep. Okay. And what were you doing for work at that time? Yeah. So my first job out of school, strangely enough, I got it because I speak French. Uh, and um, I was a business development rep for a <laughs> industrial manufacturing company of fluid control products. Okay. My territory was the Middle East, Africa, and France. And so I had the opportunity to go there as a, you know, a young guy out of, uh, out of uh, fresh out of school. Wow. Uh, and I learned a ton. You know, we went there to create distributorships and, and open business. And, but I also learned a lot about people. I also learned about the importance of being empathetic and walking in other people's shoes. So, you know, it set me up for a good uh, understanding of different cultures and different people. That's awesome. So you were going to school at night and what degree were you working towards with your master's? Yeah. So I got a master's in business with a concentration in, of marketing and marketing systems. Well, I mean, why choose that? What, did, what was the career goal at that point? Well, ultimately, early on, I'll be honest with you, even um, back then, I had an inkling of uh, wanting to be a CEO. Okay. And in my first role, my first job, I went from being a, the, that business development person um, up to being a marketing person and helping the company out with marketing. And that, that's what started my love of marketing. But then add to that my love of data. Um, and so being able to get people and help people to kind of behave differently, which is pretty much what marketing is. Sure. Uh, and uh, using data to give you a better success opportunity to do that. That was way back in 1993, uh, 4, and 5. So, yeah, so that's what I, what I focused on. Wow, that's awesome. Myself having a, you know, a marketing background, I know that you mentioned, you know, like uh, really getting to know people, um, your experience with being involved in, you know, French culture and, and things like that. Uh, I can relate to uh, seeing marketing as a way to build relationships and relate to other people, really. Yep, 100%. And really appreciating what people's motivations are, what their mindsets are. Uh, what makes them tick and what ultimately could make them, uh, you know, take some action. 
Mm -hmm. uh, there is a great deal of obviously psychology and there's a great deal of uh, many other things that go into just the overall aspect of, of marketing. And I, I loved that. And so that's, you know, where I got the MBA in and that's ultimately where my early career after that first role led me to. Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> and so you had those ambitions uh, early on to be a CEO. Did you feel natural with being like a leader uh, and stepping into a leadership role? Because I know myself being the youngest of the, the five kids, right? And you yeah. being the youngest as well. It was easy for me to, and comfortable for me to kind of maybe take it easy and not step into that leadership role because I had all these leaders around me, all these older siblings and my parents. And so now getting into my professional career, that was a bit of an adjustment. I'm wondering if like, because you said early on, you know, that was a, a big you know, ambition for you. Yeah, no, to be honest with you, I think it was always there. I, I, that was instilled, I think, from my parents and just from some other things I did growing up. I was, I was in the scouts and, I'll, you know, and so I was on sports teams. And so there was definitely leadership opportunities. So I think it was always there. And, and from an early age, I remember I have this thing in my head. It's around this idea of a leadership mantra and what is your leadership mantra? And early on, I, I kind of knew what that was for me. And and someday I'll write a book on it. Uh, and, you know, it's uh, short and sweet. And it boils down to the idea of sit in front and raise your hand. You know, the idea of grabbing life as it, right by, you know, it, its horns and, and experiencing life the best that you can and being up front and, and taking that risk and putting yourself out there and raising your hand to be that example for other folks. I've kind of lived that way for a long time. So, yeah, no, it was there for it was there early on. That's awesome. So now you are CEO of Buildium. I am. That we use for our, our company. What are some of the, I guess, the bigger milestones in your career from, you know, that first, basically when you were getting your master's that led you to really Buildium? Great question. So around the time after being at my first company for seven years or so, uh, at that time, it was uh, Tech Revolution uh, 1.0, right? So it was the whole internet superhighway. And the, so I actually made the jump over to technology there. So that was probably, uh, that was in 1999. So that was probably the first big uh, next milestone, moving from heavy industry over to technology. From there, I was able to experience, frankly, um, what it's like to be a company that gets acquired. And so the, the first tech company that I worked for uh, it was called Rational Software. It got acquired by a little company called IBM, <laughs> uh, experiencing that. So that was probably my next milestone. Outside of coming to Buildium, the probably most important milestone was in 2006, I joined a company named Constant Contact. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you know, Constant Contact is uh, an email marketing platform for small business right. and uh, essentially created the category for small business email marketing. Uh, and I was there for 10 years, had a large number of roles, started off in the marketing org, and I ended up as the chief revenue officer. And when, and we were acquired a few years back. And, you know, the great thing is started with a company that was private. I think when I started, we were 25 million in revenue and probably just a hundred employees. And when we were acquired and sold, which is when I left, we were about 1,500 employees, uh, we were public, and we were $450 million in revenue, and I was the chief revenue officer. Through those 10 years, had the great opportunity work to work with amazing people, 
amazing other leaders. I had an amazing CEO, a woman named Gail Goodman. During that period of time, my professional development probably was just on level 11 the whole time. And uh, so just learned a huge amount of uh, around the small business space, uh, again, about what makes people tick, how to scale an organization, how to keep customers first all the time, but at the same time, also valuing employees at the same time. That's awesome. Coming from Constant Contact, what uh, really attracted you to Buildium? Because obviously it's still in the, um, I guess, technology industry, but also it's, you know, it's a different industry. You know, you're uh, serving different, a different target market, really. And then it's a different company just in general. So uh, how was that transition? And like I said, what attracted you to Buildium? So after I left Constant Contact, I took some some time off to reappoint myself with uh, my wife and kids because, you know, being on the team that uh, helped build Constant Contact more often than not, unfortunately, my wife and kids probably got the short end of the stick there. And so I wanted to take some time and, and reacquaint themselves. But then also, uh, to your point, I took some time to figure out what I wanted to do next and uh, where my kind of passion could could lie. So I knew right away I wanted a company, again, that focused on small business. I, I love the small business space. I love the passion. I love the, you know, the, the we'll do anything to get to what we need to do and I'm never going to give up and I know I can make a business of this, et cetera, et cetera. So I love, I love the small business space. Uh, I also wanted to find a company that had the opportunity, I think, to, to do something great for its employees uh, with a great team, could do something great for the community and could do something great for the, the space or the industry that it was in. I wanted to, as part of staying with small business, I wanted to move away from a horizontal offer, meaning constant contact is used by upwards of 400 different types of verticals, right? 400 different types of companies, uh, spaces. But I wanted to now focus in on one. And uh, then I wanted, frankly, to you know, find a, a great leadership and executive team and then here in Boston. And so when I would talk to people, they would say, forget it. You're never going to find it. Those things just don't happen. Uh, and then I had the great opportunity to meet. Um, I knew of him, but I had not met him directly. Uh, Michael Montero. He is the founder, one of the founders of Buildium and the CEO at the time. And I had the great opportunity to meet him. Uh, Michael and I then became extremely close from a friendship perspective. I met him just from... Uh, he wanted to get some advice as to how, what he should be thinking of when scaling a company. And uh, so we had a few discussions and um, ultimately I think we both came to the same point of, Hey, should I come here? And he was like, Hey, should you come here? And so I joined two years ago because Bill Diem hit on all of those things and more. And uh, so I joined as the chief customer officer two years ago where I was uh, responsible for sales, marketing, customer support, and customer success, and away we went. And so then did that for a year and a half, and then ultimately uh, Michael and I started talking about uh, you know, what his next uh, stage was, what he wanted to do next. You know, He was a CEO since the founding. We've been around for 14, 15 years. Buildium has, that is. We started off and went through a transition and uh, became the the second CEO, I guess, of Buildium uh, mm-hmm. back in July of uh, last year. Okay. That's cool. That's a, I, I love how it kind of really fell into place. You know, like you were you know, looking for, you know, somewhere, a place in Boston, 
that you, you know, would be happy at. Um, and it seems like the stars aligned really and that, you know, you found the place. Yeah. And what I say to people is, look, I had 10 years that was that I thought was the pinnacle of my career, right? At, at Constant Contact. We did some amazing things and I didn't think anything would beat it. This is a very, very special place. Buildium uh, is an incredible set of employees. It's an incredible set of customers. I absolutely love, you know, yes, I love SMBs, but now I've fallen even more in love with property managing, manager SMBs. It's just, yeah. just awesome. I love Boston, obviously. And so um, what we're doing and what we have the opportunity to do here is pretty amazing. Yeah. And I'm just psyched to be part of it. I'm psyched to have an impact uh, with the, the rest of the exec team and the entirety of everyone here. You know, we're 200 strong now from an employee-based perspective. It's very exciting. Yeah, that's big time. That's awesome. And so I know you guys are in Boston. We're yeah. in Austin, Texas. I love Austin. <laughs> yeah, it's a great place. You guys gearing up for South by? We are, yeah. We, uh, our company's actually uh, helping host a little event Tomorrow um, at South by kind of a, a brunch with some other real estate companies here in town. And South by is fun. It can be overwhelming as well. There's so yeah. much to do. You can, I mean, you just walk around downtown and you'll find something. So it's yep. a cool thing to do. Yeah. Um, I've been twice and it was oh. a period and there was a period, I think maybe of three years in, in between. Uh-huh. And it was like night and day. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. More and more stuff's getting added. I mean, and the city's growing itself, so there's a, more venues that are popping up. So it's a cool place. So, but I bring that up because I was just wondering, what's the uh, geographical region that you guys serve? Is it just in the U.S. for property managers? Or uh, tell me a little bit about that. Sure. Well, we have 16,000 customers. Okay, wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, we, <laughs> Not bragging, but I mean. <laughs> well, set the stage, right? It's good. Uh, <laughs> We manage um, around 1.8 million units. Okay. So, well, our, our customers manage 1.8 million units. And we are predominantly in the U.S. and Canada. Um, but we're in upwards. I think the latest number is something like 45 other countries as well. Wow. Now, we, we don't do any real, let's say, demand gem or marketing in those other countries. Uh, we only do that, that activity both uh, in the U.S. and Canada, but obviously we're online, right? So anyone can find us online. So, um, so we are very proud of the, the customers that we have outside of uh, U.S. and Canada, but um, we are overwhelming majority in U.S. and Canada. And then you can think, you know, we are in the main DMAs predominantly within the U.S. So think of all the large cities. Uh, and we have nice, con- really nice concentrations uh, throughout and around all those, all those large cities. Gotcha. So I noticed that you use the term customer. And that's something that being a marketing guy have kind of played around with because sometimes we call our, uh, our property owners family members or team members or clients. And with you uh, having one or two more years experience than me, I guess does the term customer, does that kind of resonate better with with clients or you know with the customers yeah that's a great question and uh and frankly i refer to the population that you are part of <laughs> as more often like the building community right i i think of you all as really an extension of buildium you know and so i i think we we probably interchange customer uh we interchange sometimes even building partner so setting you know we look at 
our relationship as a partnership, your firm and ours. Right. When you're looking at um, a service perspective, mm -hmm. so the service that you offer, I would predominantly use client because I, I think there is a, a level of understanding of, you know, yes, there is a, a great relationship between the service provider and the client, and it's much more than uh, just technology, et cetera. For some reason, I think once also, sometimes I think there may be a volume aspect to this, meaning uh, what, you know, at 16,000 customers, it almost maybe sounds a little bit, a little bit artificial if we say 16,000 clients. Sure. I'd much rather say 16,000 business partners or, or 16,000 people or companies within the community. We all also talk about the Buildium family, to be honest with you. And when we talk about that internally, we talk about our employees as well as our customers or members of the paying community. Gotcha. Very cool. Very cool. So go back to uh, the amount of customers that you guys do have, um, you know, over. I'm going to be stepping over it all. Like, what do I say? <laughs> I know I shouldn't have brought it up, <laughs> but so the, the amount of customers you have and, you know, a wide range of areas, um, have you seen any shifts in the rental market since, I mean, you have a broader scope uh, of say the U S um, than I would in my, you know, smaller, just the city of Austin uh, area. Yeah, we definitely are seeing a shift. There's there is some uh, fair amount of activity going on. It is very it does vary throughout the nation. I would say, mm -hmm. you know, we've had about if I remember correctly about sixty five months of straight continued home values increasing, mm -hmm. uh, and now we're seeing a little bit in some key areas of that slowing a little bit and shifting. You know, from kind of traditionally say from a seller's market to a buyer's market. I don't know if you guys have seen that. We've seen a number of in the list of like the top 50 cities in the U.S. where we see that happening. I know there's a number of cities from Texas that are in that list. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you've seen the, the change happening from, you know, the, the seller's potential to a buyer's potential and then the impact that that also has on, you know, the, the rental market. Uh, but we definitely, you know, may be getting to a point where we see some property managers who also are thinking about, you know, they've been around for a while and maybe thinking about retirement. So also with the shift in the market, we're seeing actually potentially a little shift in the actual industry yeah. where there could be over the next couple of years, folks that have had great success and say, okay, I've reached my, you know, my goal mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, looking to move out of the, of the industry. And now we're watching to make sure that there's that same amount of folks that are coming in to kind of maintain that same level. Uh, so those are the those are some of the two notable shifts that we're seeing right now happening within the market. Gotcha. I'll say that, but then you know, renting is as strong as ever. So regardless of the buy sell market, uh, you know, we are definitely seeing renting in a shift from this idea of more segments choosing to rent. So of course, everyone when you say that, everyone drops to the millennials, right? Saying millennials no longer look at the American dream as being something around just buying a house, right? They can reach their American dream and being a a, a long term or lifetime almost even renter, right? And so that's an interesting point that everybody talks about. But there's another point that actually sometimes is secondary, and we're seeing on the on the older end, if you will, of the market, the the baby boomers and those folks who are maybe getting close or I'm getting close to that age. Oh, I think. No. <laughs> um, 
they're wanting to rent as well, right? And so they have sold their house. They are empty nesters. And now they want to take advantage of travel or they don't want to have the responsibility of mowing the lawn every day or or what have you. And in some instances, it's renting uh, simply to put your stuff down. And then, like I said, they go off and travel the world. And so it's interesting that we have these two ends shifting and growing at the same time. And not too many people talk about the, the baby boomers. We really focus a lot on the on the millennials saying, oh yeah, they're renters, right? Hey, guess what? The, the baby boomers are becoming that as well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm guilty of thinking of just the millennials as being the renters. But you know, now that I think about it, since I was the, you know, the youngest, when I moved out of the house, my mom you know, had this four bedroom house that she couldn't take care of by herself. She was a single mom and um, I was the one who was mowing the lawn and cleaning the house. And so she was like, well, I'm gonna sell it and I'm gonna rent, you know? There's no point being here at this big house. So that's interesting to see that both of those ends of the spectrum are really adding to, you know, the rental market, really. Yeah. And we also think that, oh, God, millennials and, and baby boomers are really different. Their actual interest and demand for technology, though, is almost exactly the same. Both those segments are expecting now, you know, rent to be able to be paid uh, in an automatic fashion using, you know, either technology from an ACH or credit card perspective. Right. Uh, they are expecting uh, real-time communications, the use of text, the use of other type of uh, idea of a resident portal so that you can be in touch with your property manager. Uh, you can you know, put your tasks or you can put when you see a leak or broken pipe or the pilot light is out, you can use technology to contact your PMC. Again, interesting people drop to the idea that, oh, of course, millennials are going to want that. Yeah. Uh, but baby boomers want that just as much. Right. Today, convenience is key, right? That isn't just limited to, you know, a younger demographic, you know, right. everybody wants something that's more convenient. Like you said, that's kind of, everybody fits into that mold. Really. Right. Yeah. We have being uh, one of your customers, uh, have an advantage of getting newsletters from you guys, emails, stuff like that. And I know that you guys put out um, an annual report that we've skimmed a couple of times and have really enjoyed. And so I was hoping that you could dive into that because a lot of our listeners are, you know, real estate investors and especially long-term buy and hold real estate investors. And so can you tell us a little bit about, about that, what you guys really include? Yeah. So we're, we're really happy uh, that, you know, this report is, has become something that, you know, when we go down to the, to NARPM national convention right away, when people see the, the build DM or uh, we have a, another t-shirt that says control freak that's that people know that oh that's buildium they come right up to us and say you know where's the report where's the report can i get the report so it, it we're excited that it's becoming an industry standard almost and that we uh send out a ton of them and we print a ton of them so that's really great and so you know this year's report uh, we just touched on a couple of things right the whole idea of the market shift of <laughs> going from the buyers to sellers and ultimately what is that the impact that that has on investors and, and obviously the impact that it has on, on renters, right? We don't think that people should get freaked out by talking about any kind of a crash or anything. We're not seeing that. What we're saying or what we're seeing or what our, our responders are saying is let's just be aware that, yeah, there is that shift and we're seeing it in more and more sections of, of the nation than we did just even last year. So it's if you are an investor looking to grow and and bring on more properties, you're probably going to want to do that sooner than later, so that you can take advantage of that of that shift. Uh, we talked about the idea of what we're seeing again is 
you know, renting is, is again becoming not something that people turn to because they can't buy a home. It's across all demographics. It's now becoming a choice. And uh, because of those shifts that we talked about and because they are now choosing to rent, Mm -hmm. that has an impact on property management firms as well as owners. Because whereas before you may have had a renter that didn't have another choice, they couldn't go anywhere. Now with the choosing to rent, people are expecting things to uh, and amenities and services that they they have the power to say no we demand that because they can choose to rent somewhere else now and right. uh, are willing to do that right and again what we're seeing from the report is that that equates to um, a property management organization that is again empathetic you know service oriented uh, is tech enabled and and really is focused on the relationship aspect between the the PMC, if you will, and the resident. Yeah. Um, because I guess it all boils down to is there's this shift from an idea of I'm regarding my rental unit as a unit or a door moving from that to this idea of this is my home. Yeah. And, you know, regardless if you're renting or you're owning, everyone wants to be in a home. Right. And that is coming through more and more and more. And we feel from a, or we see from an empathetic side, from a service-oriented side and a tech-enabled side, that's how you help develop that, that sense of home, even for a rental property. Yeah. And that makes perfect sense because when you're a, when you're a unit or a, a resident, uh, you're just a number, really. But if it's a home, you feel that sense of, of love and care. And for a property manager or a property owner and investor, you know, a lot of the the costs that come with owning a rental property is turnover rates, right? So like vacancy times are going to cost you the most amount of money, make ready, stuff like that. And so if you have a happy renter in a home that they can call home, they're going to be, you know, happier and want to stay longer. Therefore, just being the best of both worlds for, you know, the renter and the property owner. So that makes perfect sense. Yeah, exactly. One of the final things as well is that we are definitely seeing some primary market shift to secondary market shift from a renting perspective, just because there are areas within the, the kind of key larger urban centers of the, of the states that are really becoming really expensive. Just here in our backyard, right? We have a brand new neighborhood in, in Boston called the Seaport, and rents are just really, really expensive. And so now we definitely see renters looking to go, you know, that like one periphery or two periphery outside of the, of the primary market to what would be called the secondary market. Right. Um, and, you know, again, it's a great opportunity for your investors to focus on these secondary markets before maybe, uh, we're saying before maybe everyone realizes what's going on. And so they could probably get some deals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got you. Well, to kind of wrap things up a little bit, I always wanted to know what are the plans for, you and what are the plans for building as far as like your your goals um, in your position with the company and the goals for the company? Well, after this, I'm having lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Short term goals, I like it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So no, I love that question because um, let's talk about building first, right? So we talked. Uh, we have a great opportunity here. Um, I truly believe to really do something special uh, and actually to really help. Uh, our community and help 
kind of bring up the entirety of the property management industry through kind of our best practices and really understanding, as we just talked about, our customers, you guys focusing on your clients, the importance of that relationship is key. Well, the importance between us and you as our direct customer is our key, right? And so because of that, I, I just believe there's an opportunity here to really live into our vision. And our vision here at Buildium is to be a 100-year company that does business in the best way possible and has the most happy customers and the most proud employees. And that's my plan. My plan is to be part of that. I probably won't be able to see the full 100 years. Uh, <laughs> But, well, who knows? Maybe we could. Yeah, you never know. But it is really important for us, uh, I think for everyone here, you know, we call ourselves Buildians, right? So all Buildians are really understand that we place a huge amount of importance on making sure that our employees are the most proud employees, uh, because frankly, obviously, you spend more time here than you do with your family. And then making sure that our customers are the most happiest and successful customers. I foresee my plan uh, being part of that for as long as they'll have me and uh, as long as that we can uh, drive this thing to that great success. That's awesome. I, you know, I'm not just saying this just because we are one of your customers, but just hearing, you know, your story and uh, your view on, on Buildium and, and how you guys see customers as being like the main priority, right? And how those relationships are number one really goes a long way. You know, that is kind of what I believe sets you guys apart from a lot of other people is that you care, right? And I think that just like we were talking about with, you know, renters, uh, you know, just a few moments ago, um, that that goes a long ways to, to yeah. know that someone cares about you. So all that to say, you know, I really appreciate you being on the podcast and I have uh, really enjoyed getting to know you better. And I know that the listeners are enjoying it as well. Oh, and, and there's one more uh, thing in my plan. Okay. To see the Patriots win number seven. Oh my God. I'm sick of it, dude. I can't, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I, hope, I hope that every listener here is not a Patriots fan and they, they hate on you so bad. Listen, I got to give Tom Brady respect. He's the man. So you guys are, you guys have done it. Just let us have, let us have one. Okay. All right. All right. Let's do it. That's awesome. Chris, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, I really appreciate it. And obviously, um, this won't be the last that we'll see each other. Yeah. Yeah. And come on up to to Boston when you can. We'd love to. Okay. All right. 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 Thanks, man. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Bye-bye. Bye.